G'day, and welcome to the Hunter's Campfire Podcast. My name's Mark, and along with good mate Ian, we're here to help with all things hunting. If you're looking to start, but don't know where to begin, you want to make the most of your next trip away, or even plan to hunt of a lifetime, we've got something for you. You'll find our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and plenty of others. And if you want more, head over to our YouTube channel, The Hunter's Campfire, where we have plenty of how-to and hunting videos, along with the full video production of every podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe, and good hunting. Love. It always freezes when we go live, so I don't know if we're actually live or not. It you always does that to me. You know why? No, I don't know why. Because all of a sudden it's trying to stream and upload at the same time. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's yeah. it. It goes that's from exactly nothing to, to, to get It goes from high definition Mark and Jono to fuzzy blobs. <laughs> that's right. It goes from nothing to gigabytes of data. In one okay, guys, I have a question without notice. To give it some context before I jump into it, I did a uh, Zoom presentation to a group of hunters a couple of weeks ago. And one of the big points, and these were mostly, mostly, so these guys were mostly new hunters too. So, and we spoke about a lot of really cool stuff. And one of the points of conversation, both as a question and a following conversation, was about shot placement, i.e., you know, what's your favorite position for shot placement? And as it's been said a couple of times, my favorite position is shoot them in the head and kick them in a ditch. <laughs> but if we kind of step back and be realistic for a moment or, or sensible for a second. So I thought I'd put it to both of you. What is your preferred shot placement? And you can list by kind of different animals, if it's different animals and what it is. And I suppose also what about follow-up shots? Because we copped a little bit of commentary mm. on one of our videos about multiple shots in a buffalo. So let's talk about killing stuff with mm. guns. Well, well okay. can I cover the buffalo Get thing Get you want. Go for yeah. it. Yeah, look, I think uh, I, don't, I don't recall the commentary on the buffalo, but I think hunting deer and pigs versus buffalo is a very different thing. Mm. Um, buffalo mm. classified as dangerous game, and whilst you might stick half a dozen shots into a buffalo, Likely, the first one's the kill shot, and the rest of them are just to make sure it doesn't come get you. Right? Yep. So big animal, they've got big hearts, um, they've got you know, big lungs. You know, you're not collapsing them on the spot by putting one of these things through those two shoulders. You're probably shooting it in the heart-lungs type area, and it's going to take some time to fall over because they're still pumping blood. Um, you, don't, you just want to stop it. I don't think the multiple shots is to kill it. I think the multiple shots was just to get it down fast would be mm -hmm. my opinion to that. I'd agree. Mark, what's well, the you? Yes. I look, I, I thought about Buffalo shot placement a lot, to mm, be honest. So um, and I'll tell you what I thought about most. I wish I shot that herd bull in the head on that first day. Mm. Because oh, I, oh, the first I wish I shot it in the head. Uh, but I you lost, I could have shot. lost rock, paper, scissors. There was no chance we were going to shoot that one in the head. <laughs> it was mine. Well, no, you didn't even line up on it. No, um, I didn't. It wasn't a shot. But, yeah. 
So, because there was most definitely a headshot within. But that's 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 um that, that's a good hindsight statement. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. most yeah. definitely. That was the first so, buffalo you squared up against. That's right. Exactly right. So let's yeah. put it in a realist. But I thought of, I've thought that you know how you think about those things. That's one of the ones I've thought about. I thought it was within fifty, sixty yards. I knew that that thing was flying flat at two hundred. I knew at under hundred it was coming out at enough velocity, and that two fifty grain Barnes would have just gone straight into its brain box and pushed halfway through at the back end, oh, and geez, it would have dropped there. On the oh, spot. I'm not sure about that. Those oh, those yeah, skulls were skulls were pretty tough. I reckon at that range it would have blown a hole clean through that. So end. you know what we're going to do? We're going to go back to the territory, uh, and not too long. It'll be this time next year. We'll be heading back there when we get a decent sized buffalo down. Oh, that's hard to say because we want to keep that. I was going to say, just go back 100 yards after you've done it and see what <laughs> happens when you put one through its forehead. I, I'd have no – that bullet out of that rifle, I'd have no no, no qualms about saying that was a could deliver a, a fatal headshot right in – right above, you know, right there, pole right <clears> between right, – well, just above the eyes. Because they don't have a boss, they're not like a Cape Buffalo. They don't have a boss. I reckon it could have done that easy, but as you know, that's hindsight. Because I didn't take that shot because I was looking at a boiler room shot, and then moved its leg in the way, and that leg yeah, yeah. that was basically like a fairly decent tree trunk. I thought, oh, I might have a hard time drilling through that bone into the boiler room. And we might be chasing that thing all over those plains because behind it, you, there was 50 miles of nothing. And I thought, and we didn't have a car with us. That's all we could be on, you know. We might yeah. be following this thing for three days. But I thought about that yeah. and I could head shoot it. So and, and that was... I think because we're going to talk a little bit about ethics and shot placement and those sorts of things tonight, um, I think it's a like if you could test that and you were comfortable with it, Sure thing. Mm. Then there's the whole other. Are you good enough? Not saying you're not good enough, but you know, uh, there's a lot of new hunters out there that are people are going out there. And do you condone headshots generally for for hunters when their nerves are up? You know, you're standing in front of a ton of animal. You know, you've walked in the heat. You know, you're not necessarily in the best shape after six hours of walking. Is the headshot going to be the most mm. effective at that point in time? I don't know. Um, headshots are certainly not something I I suggest that newer hunters attempt until they're super confident. They know how good yep. they are on paper. They spend that time at the range. They're very familiar with their rifle, and they they know what they, they really know what they're doing. Yep. Um, so, hmm. from oh, my a performance answer. point of view, there was no. Because, I mean, when we were at that range at Warwick, you know, I was putting it in within, you know, two MOA at 200 yards. I was, yep. shoot, or I, shoot, I was shooting MOA at 200 yards with those barns. They were flying that flat. So I knew and I knew I, the confidence was that, you know, I knew the, the rifle could do it and I, I had this confidence in the power and the projectile. It was just that at the time it just didn't, it didn't pop into my head. And I think the reason it didn't mm. pop into my head because that was the first time I ever put, pointed a rifle at a buffalo and I was kind of going, you know, I was trying to... Look at the size of this sucker. Look at the, yeah. look at the scope and say, you know, 
how do you, where's this thing? You know, so mm. I think that was what it did. But more headshots are, uh, or neck shots. So, Excellent you know, choice. that kind of yeah. moves into that. So, because I've moved more towards that in, in my, you know, the winter of my life as it is, <laughs> you know, as I've, as I've shot now for 30 plus years, I've, I've, gone more towards those kind of shots where I'd never used to do those shots. Yeah, and I and I'm the same. Um often having younger or newer hunters with me, I I tend to go the heart lung still. Mm. Um I've had and I, look, you know what, to be honest with you, I think I'm still there. Uh I've, I've we've changed rifles and scope and ammo combinations enough over the last little while that I haven't sat behind a single rifle long enough to be, you know, 100% confident at a headshot mm. um, at distance. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, often a headshot presents itself at close range. And, you know, if you're zeroed at two and you've got a close range shot, you can stuff that up just as easily. Very easily. Yep. Um, I, had, I had the opportunity um, on a second fellow at, Nundle during the rut, and I chose to take a headshot, and I missed it. <laughs> I cannot believe I missed it at the range that I was at. But that that sort of dragged me back into you know what I'm not going to do that again because if I've clean missed it at the distance that I was, and I would be so devastated if I shot its jaw off. So that's just sort of brought me back. And then a couple of times now we've been to the range, and what I thought was a very well zeroed rifle was not performing like it should be mm. yes we've changed some ammo and done some bits and pieces but you'd, you'd want to have ultimate confidence in your setup to be doing that and Definitely. i think mark you've, you've been hunting for years and years and you've got every right to be doing neck and headshots because you're proficient um i don't suggest a new hunter does that to save a bit of meat i think they should go for the bigger target it's more forgiving if you're slightly less accurate and you're still going to get the animal on the ground and the meat in the freezer be Look, my I think it, you're dead right, and it also depends on the animal. So I, you know, if we th- if we kind of say deer and goat, you know, um, heart lung, it's devastating. It's going to kill it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> shoulder. So a little bit, a little bit up, a little bit forward. The idea of shot. And actually, I was watching. A well, talk about video. the shoulder shot. Talk hmm? about that shoulder shot. Talk about the, the why the shoulder shot. So I was, I was watching a hunting video, uh, one of our page friends tonight, and you know he, he shot a um, a red hind, and you could see he, no, he took out its shoulder, yep. and it was kind of running, but it was doing this bizarre run where it's basically its head was almost on the ground, but it was and it was powering almost powering itself just by its back legs. So that was a you know that's a fatal shot. It just, mm. it, it just, it's just, its heart hasn't stopped yet. It just hasn't stopped pumping. So, heart lung. We all know about the heart lung, you know. And basically, what you're trying to do is you're trying to destroy vital organs within the animal. You know, um, animals like cars. You shut off the air to them; they don't work. You shut off the fuel line; they don't work. So basically, a heart lung either shuts off the air, or it shuts off the heart, or it shuts off the blood flow. But often so doesn't got, collapse it, right? 
That's it right. Gives it some yeah, room that's to right. Because it's mm-hmm. it's it yeah. It's not like a it's not a light switch. So and because there's blood and there's all sorts of things and also that also you if you you know if you've watched enough animals get shot you know that if they're agitated they'll you know they'll run anyway mm-hmm. they'll run with you know a horribly critical shot in them they'll keep running. Um, Plus, there's adrenaline pumping and things that's like right. that. You know, it's just it's it's dead. It's just it's, it's the, the 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 nerve endings haven't stopped yet. You know, everything's still muscles are still twitching and all that stuff. It's it's just going. Um, uh, and conversely, if it's at rest or if it's feeding, you know, and you shoot it in the heart long, you you, you watch it middle. You know, that thing where the they'll kind of drawing on themselves and spring forward and then very quickly go to ground. Um, and I've noticed like when I've shot goats, they seem to respond differently to critical shots in summer than they do in winter. Hmm. I've, I've noticed that they seem to fall over faster in winter. They just huh. do. They seem to That's fall over faster. You shoot them, they just fall over faster. I don't even think I've tried to observe the difference no, in I seasons. Haven't. I just noticed that when I used to hunt Severn, I hunt Severn a lot. And I decided, you know, I would hunt the calendar year at Severn. I would hunt every month to see what the difference in the months were. And what I realised was that those animals didn't, they didn't care about the months. They just, <laughs> there was plenty of feed on the ground. They breed up. If it wasn't, they'd stop breeding. But what I did notice is that when it was colder, they... They reacted differently to getting shot. They just seemed to kind of go uh, give up a lot easier hmm. when it was cold than when it was hot. But so I'm not. That's just observation. So you've got heart lung. Where basically you're destroying, trying to destroy the heart lung combination. So you're trying to stick a bullet right through the vital organs of the animal. Shoulder right. is for, for the for the average deer and goat. Describe the position on the animal that you're. Gee, how would I describe that? John, I'm going to let, let you go off while I have a think about this. How would you describe it? Um, we're I'm, talking about a broadside shot here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just trying different. to think how I might describe it, you know, Behind the clearly. Low. Yeah, so that's what I do is I follow – I always follow the front leg up yeah. and then I look for the point of the elbow where the yep. elbow comes in and then – Which is on the, on the gut side of the – of the leg. I yeah, kind of look for where the front side. you can see there's like a colour change. Yep, yep, that's what I look for. That yeah. crease just but above the, um, hard, the elbow. hard to explain to a lot of people, but there's like yeah. the, there's a natural fold line there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I look for. And what I'm trying to do there is I'm trying to avoid the elbow joint. Obviously, yep. I don't want to hit the shoulder, and I don't want to hit the shoulder blade. I'm trying to get it just behind the shoulder blade. Yep. Sometimes you don't get it 100%. You might go through the shoulder if it's a little bit forward. Um, but certainly I'm trying to get it just behind the shoulder so that I minimise meat damage, but then make sure I get it through the vitals. How far up and down the, the chest from the spine to, to the bottom of the... Um, oh, okay. I'm about a quarter, the quarter of the way up for me. Quarter, quarter of, the way. of the way up. So it's low the in the... It's, low, it's, it's in the brisket. Like, it's yeah, low well, in the... Yeah. With I the always lungs. think about it. If you, if you do a push-up, so you get into a push-up position, you realise your heart, is quite low, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, it's so. If you think about the animal, it, it is. It's not. It's not up high. It's not standing vertical. Is, it's yeah. actually quite low. So I, yeah. I always kind of work on that bottom third idea. Yeah. 
you see that that um the chest belly yeah. not the belly yeah. but the chest it's you know the chest goes quite deep at yep. the elbows yeah and i'm i'm slamming it yep. in there because that's where the lungs sit and you often get the the base of the heart if you're a little bit low yeah. And that's, that's right. That's and a remember really good to spot for new hunters mm, to be. That's a good because it's a nice, clear spot. Often you you know it's amazing how many animals you can see the slight color change if you if you've got you know if you if you're not rushed you'll see the slight color change where the you know the kind of the well not the the I don't know is that is that called a leg pit? It's an armpit on a human. <laughs> it's a leg pit where it, that fold goes over and you see a, a different the hair grows slightly differently. You know. Um, there's that color change with a shoulder shot. It's just basically go up that leg. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what I did. Yeah, I followed that front leg up. So a shoulder shot, the idea behind a shoulder shot is that you're immobilizing the animal um, from the get-go. You're blowing yep. out both, especially on a deer, you're blowing out both its shoulders so it can't move. Um, it's also, of course, ridiculously critical because you think about what if you think about where your shoulders are or just below your shoulders are and what's around there anyway. So it's it's traveling very, very close to heart lung and often it causes, you know, massive bone damage, which actually damages organs as well. But it's a, you know, it's a, unless it's a right high shoulder shot, but a shoulder shot is is as equally um, damaging on the animal but it takes out its legs. Of course, it also takes out meat. There is a meat problem there. But um, And the idea was that if you're going to shoot something that's going to bite you, shoulder shoot it so it doesn't turn around it's and go, running Do you tend to then focus a, uh, you know, a shoulder shot on a, on a trophy animal? Rather than a meat, like a meat animal, you're trying to preserve the shoulders, and there's other shots to preserve the meat. I get that. We'll talk about that shortly. Yeah. But that immobilizing shot on a big red stag, yeah. it's going to stop it from bolting on you. It's you know, if you shoot, if you heart lung a red stag, it's going to do some some distance. It may yeah. not do heaps, but it's going to give it enough to get away from you and find cover. Often people are you know out there looking for stuff. Um, that shoulder shot, it's a good solid meat destroying, but you're going to get your trophy that you're chasing. It's going to put it down. Exactly we'll right. Running. And it's, so me, for me, it's more about the shoulder shot is the shot where I'm under heavier cover. So if I was shooting a fallow in a, in like on a farm in a paddock type thing or a big open field, I just heart lung it because it's an easy shot. It's, you know, it's going to present itself. There's not going to be any twigs or anything in the way. It's going to present an easy heart lung shot or something else, and you're going to shoot it, and you're going to watch it run, and you're going to and you can see it exhaust itself and go to ground. If I was hunting in Nundle and like you know, in twenty yards it could disappear off the face of the earth, I'm going to blow its shoulders out. Interesting. Yeah. I've never shoulder shot an animal ever. Yeah, I've, I've always nearly all the deer and a few nearly nipples. all the deer I've shot in Nundle have been shoulder or neck. Yeah. Um, because... How do you stuff up a shoulder shot? Like, can you be too high? Can you be too low? Like, you can surely be too you low can, and just break yeah. their legs, but how, how do you get that wrong? Generally, with unless you're way off target, 
and you hit it in the guts or you hit you or, or you mm. so generally with the shoulder shot it's it's if you stuff up you still hit the animal critically so if you uh shoulder shooting and you shot a little bit high you might spine it yeah yeah which means it's which not going to die shot. straight away but yeah. it's, it's drops on the spine again usually. it's immobilized and it you know it's spined and so it may actually still be alive and you need to dispatch it but it's not going away if you go a bit far forward, you kind of can sometimes get into the brisket of the neck area, which is still pretty lethal. If you go a bit too far back, you're into the body of the animal, which is again a pretty critical shot. Um, so the 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 stuff up is you go too high, so you shoot over the the animal and too low. Too I've seen take out the front legs. Yeah, but again, that's still a pretty. It's not a fatal shot. It generally no, slows them down. Again, the animal but I've seen one. Three. Yeah, they can pull on three legs a long way. I've yeah. seen one go well, actually, a long this, way. Oh, this one of the on the video I was watching today. One of the animals, you you did that weird thing where it's running on three legs. So yeah, you can, but that's shooting really low. Yeah. So that's how you stuff that up. Yeah. So then go go to the next shot. So the next shot is for me. The next shot is basically in front of the shoulder shot. So I'm shooting. That big area, just above the base of the neck. That's oh, so you should... the, the, the bottom of the neck, not the head side. Well, not not no, because it's a bigger area. So and like on a goat, it's not a particularly long neck. Yeah, true. So you know, it's it's that, and I find that's a pretty fatal shot. For me, when I've gone neck shots, I usually go toward closer to the head. Yeah, if it's a pig, then we get that's kind of next. I don't high neck them as you will, generally. So there might be some uh, um, weird reactions to this, but on a on all the animals, but on a bigger animal, if you look at the neck, you know that's up to the head. It gets bigger at the base as it gets to the chest. There's this triangle area that's quite well. I would have said well known that you can put around through that. And the shock will temporarily paralyze the animal, but that animal will get up and go. And it's been seen a few times, recorded a oh, few okay. times. So you're so you're going through an area that doesn't have bone, artery, whatever. It's a fluke shot, but yeah. there's an area close to the chest on the neck. Yeah, oh, where basically you're thinking. You're thinking. So you're discussing basically where the base of so almost like the. It, it's the above the jugular. Yeah, it's between it's the jugular part and the of the, It's like yeah, and they've since they've got a broader neck, their windpipes further up. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I, uh, I'm I'm shooting generally at the other at the spine side, side of the neck near the spine and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's been a few interesting things that you see on YouTube from time to time. So yeah, you, people go up to their dead animal, it gets go up. to poke it on the eyeball, and it gets up and. Either yeah. goes or more goes. So, so um, I've seen yeah. that with um, shots close to the spine where you haven't hit bone. Yeah. By shock, the shock actually yeah. into the spinal column causes the animal to drop and stun it. Um, and then when it gets a fright, it ups and runs. It's not yeah. fatally wounded at all because you yeah. haven't hit solid bone. And I'm pretty sure that must have happened once with the goat that I shot in Severn. Uh, so well, you use a 22. Two big billies and I dropped one of them bang and down it went and the second one and i've got you know darcy was there i hit this other one and it was like i hit it with thor's hammer it went flat 
It didn't fall over. It literally went down. Like that usually went, happens with the spine. Its legs yeah. splayed out and it was yeah. down. And so I just, I went, oh, it's two down. And I went, look the other one. And then we went back and it was gone. And I thought, it's either, you know, it's either gone to heaven or I just knocked, I basically knocked it out somehow. Mm. I use that, I use that excuse for every animal I haven't found. It was a good shot. It just that or they fall off a cliff. Yeah. Or they fall off a well, cliff. Oh, well, that was real. A guy yeah. explained to me the neck shot once, like he explained how you, you know, when you bait a live bait. Yes. Yep. You, mm-hmm. you can keep a live bait alive by sticking a hook right through its butt body, but not its spine. So you kind of go under the spine. So you go, you know, it's horribly painful. You think about it, what you're doing, you're digging into the meat of it, but you're not hitting that spine. What I do is I generally shoot on the high side of the neck, the spinal jugular side, and I find that from a 3006, that just bang, it's a a destructive shot and goats and deer just drop on the spot. Yep. Kills them. Yeah. And it's a good meat shot. It's an excellent meat shot. And yeah. I've just become comfortable with that shot. Yeah, I think if you're, um, you know your distances, again, yeah. you're comfortable with your rifle. It's a it's a natural progression to save more so meat. So it's not right at the base of the animal. It's up the neck. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. So with pigs, I used to shoot them in the chest. Or you know, in the in the heart, lung, chest area, but after shooting a lot of pigs, I started to stick it basically, kind of behind the ear, behind the eye type thing, base of the head. Yeah, and look, I find like I I am more and more tempted to go neck headshots on animals purely to save all the mess. Mm-hmm. Like it's one. Th- like you know, your heart, lung, an animal, and you've you, you've turned it into soup on the inside. Yeah. And if you, you want to you save as much write, of that right carcass the as you end, can, you? the front end, front end's written Well, off no, I tend to find that by doing that, I keep the shoulders. But oh, okay. you know, to, yeah, no, I, I usually don't damage the shoulders with a. I with a, find if you get, go behind because you get penetration. Yeah. One's usually one's usually no, mashed up. I tend to find that happens too much. You might nick one, but not usually. Mm. Um, it's more that like I then. You know, you're in the field and you want to get it out, and I'm, I'm, I've become a bit of a fan of trying to get that whole carcass out, guts out first, um, mm. just because you can do so much more with the animal um, for the freezer if you're not just hunters butchering, you know, backstraps out and legs. Trying to turn this thing into chops and other bits and pieces, and and get some some finer cuts for the table, then taking the carcass is a lot better. You can do a lot better job. Well, I find I can do a lot better job if I can hang it up in a tree and, you know, spend the time on it. And also we usually have new people around us that want to learn. So trying to take the whole thing out helps them go through that process. So um, the whole soup method is not my favourite at the moment, but it's still my go-to generally. Serves a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Gets that animal down. So the other thing, interestingly enough, that I've discovered about, banging things in the, in the in the head especially pigs is that um so basically i kind of shoot behind the eye ear 
which is actually on a big pig is quite nice because you you know you can actually get the crosshair on the you can between do a nice, the two between no, the two just it doesn't need look it doesn't need to be that you know it's not like you know it's a P inside there and you've got to kind of thread it anywhere behind the eyes uh, below the ear behind the eye or even directly behind the ear in that area it's critical you know it, it, it's it, they're getting shot in the head yeah. you know <laughs> they're not walking it off um, but what I found was um, uh, with soft points this weird thing would happen. You'd shoot them, and they do that thing where they're on the ground spinning in a in a circle on themselves. So they're lying on their side running. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because okay. they wouldn't ever run away. They'd be on their side running. They would. They wouldn't. They just go over and they do this kind of kick out, run out type thing. And often there'd be lots of blood squirting out. But what I found was that. With soft points, that would happen. And what we realized is they were just fragmenting inside the brain. And hmm. so I went to a, because um, I was shooting federals then, I was shooting federal soft point. I went to federal fusion, which is their bottom level bonded projectile. And that, when that hit them in the head, they just, they just lights out. It would just seem to, it would just bang down they'd go and they would move. Um, though, of course, if you want to, you see a big bore and you want to do the whole skull mount, this isn't, this isn't good for skull mounting because it does, it, uh, it pulverizes it. So then you kind of think, okay, where do you shoot him? And then you get into the, you know, the, the kind of heart, heart, lung shoulders that can be a bit hard on pigs and also the way they're, they're kind of built. You can hit them in the shoulder and it doesn't do as much, you know, critical damage to the body. And a big boar does have a, often have a big fighting pad on there. So they're kind of, their shoulders are armored up. And so you can, and I remember quite vividly a mate running away from a pig after he shot it with his triple two. More than one person be treated by a pig. And it hit, hit, hit the mud. And I remember to this day, it was like, you know, a war movie where they shoot a, you know, they're shooting the German tanks with the Shermans and they're not having an effect. And they go, it's kind of, <laughs> this dirt just came up and a pig just spotted him and went straight at him. And he went, ran away and he had a triple two. So, you know, that, that, you know, that the amount of, if they've been wallowing and they've got, they're covered in mud Kate and it's all much. in their hair and their shoulders. So, you know, the heart lungs often, I think, a safer shot on a big pig like that. Mm. And big pigs don't run that far. So that's shot placement, but what about shooting position? What do you favour? Oh, okay. Oh. I know what Mike locks. Yeah. Shoot from the hip. Well, we haven't, we haven't covered the Texas heart shot. <laughs> I don't. I don't shoot a southern-facing target on a, in a northerly direction. I just don't do it. Good call. Fair enough. Um, we'll leave that and one I've alone. Had plenty of opportunities watching goats run. I'm going. No, I'm going to shoot that thing up the ass because all you're going to do is kill it for the sake of killing it. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, That's all it does. So shooting positions. Now we're talking. We're talking. Um, I mean, 
obviously the position that you're shooting an animal depends on loads of things but mm. in ideal environment what's your go-to you're using a tree rest using sticks you're prone what's your what's your go for me if i can get a prone shot i'll take a prone shot um i carry a spot and bar pod not attached to the rifle i carry my my, um, my chest rig um, and i'll put that on if i can but usually chasing reds and and even fellow the grass is often too long for that um yeah. i usually have shooting sticks with me i use them first of all to shoot off and also as a as a walk assist me with walking especially when hunting reds and that up in steep country i use them just to help me up and down the up and down the hills i actually have the spartan adapter that sits on top of my my uh, my shooting sticks um and that fits on the universal adapter that i've got so that fits my bar pod and it fits my shooting sticks um i've shot more animals off the spartan shooting sticks in the last three or four years than i have shooting prone i think i've shot one animal prone which is a fellow that i got down at mobile so um and that's simply because i haven't been able to get a prone shot um i've shot more off shooting sticks or off a tree rest because that's just the terrain that i was in yeah and then shooting shooting goats shooting quickly quite often offhand down at pilliga down at severn they're all either tree rest or um offhand yeah that spartan gear is pretty good um we'll throw a link up on the featured products page on the website people have a look at it um the bipods the adapters the bits and pieces they are very expensive but mm. you know you're buying one bipod and then you buy the adapters for each of your rifles and you just use the same one so it may be expensive for one but you're not buying three or four um yeah, which is really good. So, yeah, jump over to the features page have a look at that um we'll and they weigh nothing they, they weigh, weigh nothing as well fiber. They're, they're, they're an excellent excellent product yeah mark um Generally offhand, which is not, yeah, which is not good. But that's just how it seems to rock and roll. Um, I don't up on your deer block, up on your deer block where you're watching deer. Yeah, um, I might take a rest, or if I'm sitting down, I might. I often, I have shot plenty of animals from a seated position, so on my knee. On your knees. Yeah. Yep. So on my bum, on my knee, uh, especially on the deer block, because you're often at um, you know, you're above and you're shooting down and it really lends itself really well because you're staying low profile because it's treed. Um, I don't know how many goats and pigs I've shot off hand and number of deer. Um, I don't, I'll, I'll take a tree rest, especially if there's, you know, there's, there's range and there's opportunity to take aim. So like when I shot that goat off the cliff, with you, Jono, I just, there was a tree, I just went up to a tree and took a rest and shot it off that. Um, and then I shot a couple off hand. And so, yeah, mostly, because I, I, I tend to, you know, I'm, I'm mostly shoot, I mostly hunt on the move. Hmm. Um, I have shot a couple of times from a static position and I quite, you know, it was great to, sit down and, and have that static position and, and have the animals come in. But generally I'm hunting on the move and so I tend to shoot opportunistically. Yeah, um, Yeah, it tends to be opportunistically. So when I shot those two deer, um, not this year but last year at Nundle, both were offhand. 
There you go. I um, <laughs> I always seek prone position where possible. Mm. Um, if I'm if I'm seeing the animals before they see me, and in state forest that could be quite difficult sometimes. Um, my morning and night um, hunts have turned into um, finding a location, finding habitat, setting up a spot to be able to watch reasonable ground, and that's given me the opportunity to to watch the animals, be selective with the animals, and um, shoot prone, which is perfect for me. That's exactly what I want to do. Um, but the other benefit I've got is hunting with the dog. Um, outside of those um, normal shooting times of early morning and late evening, you know, we can go and look for new ground and new habitat and things that we might want to set up an, another sit and wait spot. And because she indicates, um, she's usually showing me where deer are bedded at that point, and that gives me the time to get in. Those shots aren't usually prone. Those shots are usually off a tree. Um, almost never ever offhand for me. I'm not that. I'm not confident in offhand. I'd, I'd rather find a tree and do it. And I've watched more than one deer wander off and not put one in offhand. That's just my preference. But um, yeah, it's a different scenario with the dog being able to find them in beds. Um, few times now we've found them. You know where they're where they're well bedded, and you've got to decide whether you want to take a shot on bedded animal or wait for it to stand or get impatient and make a noise so it does stand, things like that. So, again, another ethical question for you following up from this one is um, bedded animals. Do you shoot them or not? Um, for me, it's it's not an ethical question. I missed. I've only really ever shot at one bedded animal. To, to There was a good stag up in Brisbane Valley, and I missed it. I was way above it. Um, I was up high. I was coming down. I could see him through the trees. I could see the hinds milling around. I spent about half an hour bum scooting down that hill. Didn't that stag didn't know I was there. Just everything was perfect. You know, put on the stalk, everything like that. Put the rifle on my knee, straight over the top of it. Hmm. Um, and it was bedded. And I, that's one of those ones I should have just gone, oi. Yeah, <laughs> let them stand. Bang, you know. And yeah. I, that was it. So yeah, that that that's probably um, the only bedded animal I've shot, uh, except for a pig. I shot a pig in a wallow, and it was it was in a wallow, so it wasn't well. It was, it was in a prone prone position, but it was in a wallow, mm. and um, I shot that, and uh, shot that in the in in the. In the, you know up high in the above the shoulder in the in the meat, and it got up and put another one into it. But yeah, that was that's I haven't shot that many animals in that position. Hmm. Jono, do you want to explain yeah. why shooting a bedded animals not ideal? Well, I mean the whole structure where the organs sit move they mm. change. Um, mm. If you think about you know if you lie down, you know you, 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 your body changes, everything changes. Yeah, um, and so where you where you think the organs are is probably not where they're going to be. Everything's going to be switched down a little bit. They're going to be a different angle. You know, the shoulders going to be the elbow is going to be mm. at a different angle and a different position. Um, so it does change. I mean, if you're going to go for a neck shot, then the neck doesn't change, but you need to be sure of your shot. And make sure you've got a you know a, a really solid rest. I've only ever shot one animal that was bedded, which was a, a fallow. Um, this was in the UK. Um, we spotted these fallow in in this. Part of the of, of the forest that was opposite us, but between us and them was a big open field, big muddy paddock. We actually 
barely crawled across that paddock until we got about halfway through and we just kept an eye on the on the hand and um she just stayed bedded the whole time and then we got ready and my mate austin that i was with he said when you're ready to take the shot and sit up and she will look at you and she will stand up when she stands up you've got 10 seconds to take a shot and that's what we did so um she basically i sat up we we barely crawled we had a little bit of a ridge barely crawled got to a position i actually i had shooting sticks in a seated position i just sat up she saw us and sort of lifted her head stood up and i shot her and she dropped Mm. in the spot so that's the only time i've ever shot a bedded animal she wasn't bedded well, she was she was bedded initially, but I got her up from yeah. the bed. Yeah, so, so not bedded. I'm talking about so putting yeah, a shot I on think, the animal while it's I've, still on the I ground. I think the yeah. only successful animal, yeah. Yeah. the only successful animal I've ever shot in a bedded position was a pig and a walleye. Yeah, I've never shot one still lying down, mm. and I'm hesitant to do that just because of the way the body changes when they lie down. And that pig and the walleye was really interesting because. I've been hunting for, at Savannah there for nearly 10 years when I got that pig. Sorry, mate. You can't hear that in the background. My dog's dreaming. Dreaming of hunting deer. We're talking about hunting deer and she's off mm-hmm. into La La Land. <laughs> the first time I um, ever hunted Savannah, I hunted with Adrian and we shot a heap of goats. And as we were leaving in, in Adrian's vehicle, driving out, or driving back to camp, in the morning, this big pig ran across the track and my brain didn't register it was a pig. I went, what is that weird-looking thing? Because I'd just been seeing goats and goats and goats and realised it was a pig and I was – so that was it. I went, oh, I missed it. And then for nearly 10 years, I didn't see another pig in Severn. Yeah, right. And it was stinking hot and we were we were moving up on a dam and Tim was up in front with the lever action and he had, uh, had that marlin – where you, with Marlin you can you can stuff the safety on them basically, and he he looked over and he saw the pigs and then he went click and dropped it on an empty chamber and the pig went bing and we said okay don't chase it just let it go and we came back the next day and I was in front and it was it was back we got it so yeah um, and that was so yeah that was that that was the only. Um, I've never just had that luck where I can see them bedded, you know. It's just if I'm walking and they're in front of me and I don't see them, you know, they'll stand up. I've shot plenty like that, but I've never had that opportunity. That's why I'm, one of the reasons why I, like, I want to get a dog, so I can get a bit more opportunity like that. But Yeah, yeah, so yeah you certainly do. Yep. It's just not a thing I've yeah, ever really done. Plenty of opportunities to find more bed holes. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen too many bedded animals. Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I hadn't shot a bedded animal until this year uh, and I, I wouldn't have taken the shot but this fellow hind on the other um, side of the gully walked in front of me and then just crouched down mm. and it had its back legs underneath it like a dog and its front legs out in front of it and it just sort of squatted and I could see the full shape of its body wasn't twisted and lying it was just sort of sort of resting Legless there for a, for a second, so I just thought, oh well, that one's that looks good to me, and I just took it, and it was fine. But um, yeah, not normally. I suppose a bedded animal too. That you're going to lose a fair bit of meat too. You know, it's compacted and all compacted. Yeah, this yeah. you know different yeah. type of hunting. You know, yeah. some some yeah, people are just so. I mean, it, it, 
some it's people probably are a very critical shot on the animal. Yeah. So, like the when we hunted goats early in the year, I was neck shooting all those goats. Um, except for the ones um, when we had a bit of a stuff up and the goats, it didn't work and the goats were on the run and I shot a cu- couple of them on the run. Um, but um, uh, the ones when I, when I had, when I was stalking them, I had the opportunity on just neck shot them. Just, um, and, you know, a big billy's got a big neck. It's a big target. Mm. Um, yeah. All right. I think we covered shot placement. Placement. Shooting position. I suppose the other thing that kind of, again, you know, kind of tricked my interest was that there was a recent post on Facebook. I think it's still, I'm just going to jump and have a look. It's still, it's a today's post, actually. It's seven hours. Robert Borzak put up this post about conservation hunters, and it's called Conservation Hunters Vindicated. I'm not going to read it all out. But basically what he was saying was that there's a supposedly an elusive long-footed potteroo that's made its first appearance in New South Wales. And Robert points out that it's it was not in a national park, but it was actually in Bondi State Forest, which is a logging, hunting, motorcycle riding state forest. And he goes on to talk about, you know, the the idea of conservation hunters in New South Wales. And you, some of you might remember there was a sticker for a while. There was like a a sticker on a gum leaf. It was like a green gum leaf. Hunting is conservation, say, conservation? Hunters, yeah, first in conservation or something like that, conservation hunters on it. So when it was the game council. So it started this idea that when you hunted a state forest in New South Wales, you were obligated to, to you know, shoot everything because you were, for want of a better word, you were a conservation hunter. So you were pest managing. Um, and to me, when I started hunting in state forests, that's how you know that's how I both understood it and how it was explained to me. I remember once the first state forest hunt I did with other people, like a group of people, was Nundal, and I'd been hunting ADA red deer blocks where you know it's like, oh, don't shoot that mongy headed thing because next year that'll be the monarch, the Glen with you know a double twelve, and you know. <laughs> Every deer was like, you know, oh, you know, you know, the, the the shooting requirements was very, very restrictive on a lot of animals. And same crew crossed the border to New South Wales, and I saw this fallow deer in a, you know, in an open paddock, and I went, oh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a doe, and they said, flatten it, flatten everything, you know. So it, we, it. it Seven. We went from seven hours before we were preserving everything to seven hours before, later we were flattening everything. And I remember, you know, that that was quite a a jolt to the system. So to go from same people saying don't shoot to shoot. And I know that you and you and I Ian, had this conversation, and you pointed out that you know that is not necessarily the case now in New South Wales mm-hmm. with conservation hunting. So I made some calls and spoke to some people, and they said, yeah, that's actually. The case, it's kind of from a policy point of view and um, that the idea of conservation hunting has been replaced with recreational hunting. Um, and I thought, well, okay, that's interesting. Why, so it's a policy, but I suppose what is the ethics then of 
recreational hunting in New South Wales, especially since you're hunting on public land and you're hunting feral species. And I know people don't like to call them feral species, but let's just let's just pick that name. So you you're hunting non-native species, which uh, some people, a lot of people argue, are detrimental to the environment. What's your obligation around that? And and if you're not, if you don't have a legal obligation or a policy obligation, do you still have a social obligation? And does it does that social obligation extend to all creatures? So you know, does it extend to deer? It's a um, it's a interesting it's one. a tough question to answer and I'll, I'll answer it in one way and then i'll probably contradict myself with, with the second part of it but i think um when the r license system or yeah the r license system first came in it it was a bit of a shock that it happened and there needed to be some impact there needed to be some proof to the argument there needed to be some you know data-driven outcomes and that happened and then over time the community earned the right to be able to hunt in these locations based on ec economic impact as well. It wasn't just a conservation hunting outcome. It was the billions of dollars of revenue that hunters brought into the regions. So I feel like that policy change is largely because the hunting community and that our license program has earned the right to exist for whatever um, the purpose of the hunter is. You know, take the hunter away and the whole program falls flat and so does all of that money. So, you know, I can't verify that. It's just the way I feel about it. Um, mm. So so to answer the, the question about what is my responsibility, well, you know what? Um, I've paid my dues. I've helped the process. And it is now a recreational asset that I can use like they do in America to target a species for the purpose that I would like to target it for as long as it's within the laws and it's ethical and what I mean by ethical I'm doing the right thing by the animal I'm not you know um, causing it undue pain and suffering all of those sorts of things if I want to go and target one animal and chase it for the next five years because I get it on a game camera then that's something I feel like I have the right to do. And I don't have to destroy every other pest that walks in front of me to ruin that hunt. I can let them walk freely because there are thousands of other hunters that want to chase pigs when I want to walk around them. Um, and there are plenty of people that want to chase goats and other things. So that's kind of my answer, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. John? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I, when I first my old license and started hunting in Nundal, there was still the game season. You could only hunt deer at um, yeah, right. specific they times were, of the they year. Were game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, game. It, was, it was classed as game. And, and then they changed that and they became feral. Well, um, they, they, all they did was they simply removed the game status. Yeah, correct. Mm. And they became so they a just feral said, animal. They're still, still the same animal. animal. They're just, they've yeah. just, and I think they, it, they didn't even, they just, kind of suspended the game status. So there used to be you couldn't hunt them at a certain time of the year, I think when October, they were breeding. When they, it was somewhere yeah, it was in October, October it ended. When they were getting ready to drop. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, 
you know, for me, that was quite a big deal. Um, I felt that, you know, and look, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant to Australia. I don't know the history of it. I, I've come from South Africa where game species are revered and, and, you know, conservation in South Africa means something different. You know, they've, they put things behind half fences and they protect them and they take out the, um, you know, the, the, the predators and they, and they breed those species up here as public land, it's shared use. Um, and the animals, shouldn't have been here in the first place you know they are introduced but in my view the animals have been here long enough that they should have the status that they shouldn't just be every single animal should be killed and i mean that's my personal view i know many people disagree with that they think there's a deer it shouldn't be here shoot it take it out um i think there should be protection of them i think they should be classed as, as game because they've been here long enough and um whether they're on public land or private land, I think they should have some sort of status. My viewpoint. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it. That's an interesting. You know, that gets right into mm. what makes a feral a feral. Mm. And uh, I might, from a, I think, from a, a dictionary point of view, anything born wild is not feral. So feral is, I think, technically that generation that has gone feral. That's a feral. Yeah, so, I guess. So, you know, a feral animal is an animal that was has gone feral. So it was in a domesticated situation. It's no longer a domesticated situation. So you could quite reasonably argue that, you know, well, if it's born and if it's not ever born in domestication, is it a feral animal? And you could say probably so not. it's an introduced species it's a introduced mm. wild it's non-native yes yeah, it's it's non -native. but then you get into the question of okay when does native become native that's really interesting because there's a lot of argument that dingoes are not they you know they they were introduced by man <laughs> and the which they were from somewhere yeah. Else. Yeah, yeah that's right yeah. they came across from through through papua and all that stuff that's why that the, the papuan wild dog are, are similar um and then yeah so you've got you kind of and then if you look at buffalo for instance buffalo were introduced um you know they try to create they supposedly they wanted a a bovine that was more suited for the tropics hmm. that's why they brought buffalo into the northern tropics and it collapsed and so they went free so they just basically let the ones that were there free, and there's, there was obviously enough um, of them to create breeding stock. And so, so those buffalo, for I don't know how many generations, have never known domestication. They've known sure. the, the only world they've ever known is that world. You know, they don't, they're this, and it's the same with deer in Queensland. You know, whilst red deer have been have been, um, there's been introductions along there along their life cycle. So, you know, there's been deer farms and stuff like that. There was this idea and it's, you know, there was a number of deer released at the very beginning that have only ever known wildlife. Their, only, their, their bloodline has only ever been wild. Sure. And to your point about when is native, where's yeah. the date line? Hmm. You know, there's a moment in time that a dateline has been drawn and everything on the wrong side of that line is introduced. Yes. Um, now, there's a huge discussion here that we won't get into 
about indigenous yeah you know mm-hmm. and 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 what what was you know who was here first what was here first what's considering this but who's making the decision like mm. uh, I, I don't want to get this wrong and i guess the, the edit, editing will help me out here if i if i sound <laughs> bad um i'm not i don't want to sound bad here um so I'll choose my words carefully but um I, I wonder who's making the decision about the deer that were gifted to the colonists, the colonists, when they came here by the queen for the purpose of game hunting, meat producing. Yeah, meat production. You know that that pastime of hunting, right? Yeah. So yes, there's an argument that says, you know, um, white settlement has introduced these you know, these animals into the country. But it, it seems to be that it's it, it's the, the current day government that is deciding what's feral and what's not feral or what should or shouldn't be here or what status they have, not Indigenous Australia. And I might get that really badly wrong. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's the cut it's the mm-hmm. government of the day that's making this yep. decision that we're gonna make we're gonna strike deer off the game list. It's not because Indigenous Australia say no, that shouldn't be here because, you know, we've got sacred grounds and, you know, introduced species shouldn't be here. I haven't heard anyone say that before. Maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but I haven't heard it. So I think it's quite interesting that a gift this from is the a really queen interesting. Gets, I know, you know it's really hard to answer. Well, no, it's because you know what it's, I'm saying, right? You know yeah, what I'm I do. Saying? And, yeah. You know, like I can, way, I can get it, get me out of trouble. Well, no, it's not. You're not in trouble because, um, I mean, I, I just been looking again at some stuff. You know, like there was that report, and this is go back to your thing about conservation hunting and recreational hunting and the benefits beyond conservation. Like there's mm. that report. I think it's the, the 22 2022 report or 2021 report by the DPI in New South Wales that basically said that you know hunting is behind cattle. Uh, horticulture and meat sheep, not wool sheep, meat sheep, then hunting mm. as turners as and number two as a, G, as a GDP producer, yeah. As, as, as number two behind cattle is fishing, yeah, yeah, and and rec that's yeah. recreational and charter fishing, not commercial fishing. So, from a financial point of view, they're huge, but. The, the weird, this whole introduced animal thing is such a weird thing because you know, bees are introduced. No, I didn't know that. How many bees are introduced? How did pollination we have oh, native, the native bees. bee was here. Oh, the native bee. Native yeah. bees. Sure. That, but, you know, the, the Capilano, Mr. Capilano yeah. bee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's introduced. Yeah, so does yeah. that mean we have to eradicate all those bees? Well, that pre- no, because well, we're, well, we just happen to be supporting all the bee stocks around the world because they're having that problem when we don't have that mite or, you know, they discovered that mite. We do now. In New South Wales, now we're just going, shit, it's finally here. Varroa, varroa mites, here yeah, to stay. But that, that, that creature is introduced. And Same if someone said to you, right? let's get rid of all the bees because they're introduced, you know, Literally, you know, people would be riding in the streets. There's another really weird animal, trout. Yeah. Trout. So we trout. don't have a season. Yeah, There's trout. this whole thing about, you know, if you catch a 
trout without a fly, you might as well, you know, be throwing dynamite at it. You know, you're you're you know you're you're a Even lower form fishermen. of life if you're not fly fishing. And but as and you say, they've got there's a, they've got a river season. That's right. They actually have a New season. There is, yeah. So to say oh, it's an introduced species and you can't do that, well, actually we do. There is a number of introduced species that we kind of – and then you get that really weird thing about trans introduction. And I don't mean transgender, but as in trans in Australia. So, for instance, I didn't know that kookaburras were introduced to Tasmania. Well, right. That this happens all the time. Um, mm. The the eastern grey kangaroo is not endemic to my area. They're no. here now, but that was because someone fostered some young ones, grew them, and then decided <laughs> to let them go. And now mm. the eastern grey kangaroos are pushing the native wallaby out of our region. Yeah, but they're not endemic to this I used location. To hunt at a, well, John I hunted there as well. There was a there's a private a, a paid block <laughs> back at Toowoomba up in you know down there. And the guy who used to own it, he recently sold it. He talked about a time when there wasn't kangaroos on that block. Yeah. He said, and you talk to the guys who've been up in the Brisbane Valley, they'll say the same thing. Once upon a time, it was all those nail tail, you know, those rock wallaby type things. Yeah. yeah and right, and the greys have come in. So you get, and that's purely human. You well, know, it's, that, it's that's drought us. migrations and that, those well, sorts but, of but things. But it's the fact that we create dams yeah. and we create pasture this goes, and all that stuff. This goes back to the date line. Just because they weren't, just because yeah, they weren't I mean, that, here on the, the other really side of 1980 thing. doesn't mean that the native Australian population hasn't migrated further. It's the same as the great migration of these deer that we're talking about. Mm. No, one can, no one can argue that the populations of deer aren't growing at a, at a pretty damn fast rate. Yeah. Right. No one can argue that that's the truth. And if you're going to talk about the honeybee, um, I don't know the answer to this. Is the honeybee damaging more than it's helping? Well, that, that that's a really interesting. I think that's because then we get into the, you know, I think that one of the really spooky things of this is that there's also, you know, the kind of, um, there's the emotive part in it because um, if you look at the stat there from New South Wales and you believe the New South Wales government in that stat, which says that, you know, and I don't, it unfortunately hasn't got the numbers on it, but if it says that hunting is number four in the rural industries, you know, the fourth largest rural industry. Primary industry. Yeah. Primary industry. Uh, and you know only to cattle horticulture and meat sheep, and then it's hunting. If you were to split that up into say, okay, hunting pigs, hunting goats, hunting deer, or something like that, deer would equate equate for a, for a significant chunk of that. Sure. Yeah. And I would say that now the that that number alone would be greater than the ninety-two million that we say deer cost it. We say deer cost the nation oh, ninety two million. Sure, I'm sure that yeah. number there yeah, is higher. Yeah, we got we got a billion in front of our number. That's right. That's I'm sure that number, right. and that's in. So basically, we're saying deer cost the nation ninety two million. New South Wales deer make double, triple, whatever it is. So the economic numbers get you know again get really spooky because you kind of go well, and if you want you know 
And if you look at the Northern Territory experience around Barramundi, you know, Barramundi went from being, you know, 20 bucks a kilo to for, 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 for a guy in um, uh, Melbourne who wants to catch a Barramundi, they work out about 600, 600 bucks a kilo. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the thing is, then you don't eat it, you throw it back in. Yeah, yeah. Yep, so yep. you know, it's it, they just realised that 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 thing was far more um, profitable as a pursuit species rather than a meat table species. So the saying about deer is is and hunting itself, you know, you kind of yeah, you you get it gets really spooky. So the, getting the slide rule and say you know uh, cost versus uh, you know, input versus output, or you know, profit or, re- or return on investment, as you will, or whatever it is, that also is very, very challenging. Because yeah. you know, you could say, well, actually, if that's the case, then we should be having more deer because they're worth a lot more money. Yeah. So let me take it back to your question. The question about what is my responsibility as a hunter? Well, let's in, not in say your responsibility. What is your what is your my ethical you your ethical res- right? So. If they were to reopen, if they so if they were to open the same scenario in Queensland, for example, and say, okay, here's an R license system, but we're doing it because the deer numbers are increasing and we don't actually have a plan to reduce them other than helicopter shooting, which is yeah, not doing enough. And the purpose behind it that was spoken about you know, in the training literature and, and, you know, all throughout the elite training when you went through your club to get accredited, if it was about reducing numbers, then I would feel quite a bit different about how I approached it. Now, look, people are still going to want to hunt the rut and they're still going to want to chase that big buck. But if to keep hunting, there was this overarching statement that said we had to reduce the numbers by X percent and the hunting community is going to do it. And if you don't, we take it away guess what's going to happen? We're all going to get in there and do our bit. And I think for me, until you earn the right to, like they have in New South Wales, um, to, to stand on your feet as a, as a um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, as an um, industry, then you follow the guidelines and you, and you just... Yeah. The issue I've got there is you, as soon as you put recreational in front of it, People are going to want to try and preserve it. So well, I, you, you I, I, want, to, want to try and hunt that big buck. You want to try and you want a bigger stag next year. You're not going to shoot every stag that you see. So in Queensland, if you want to get true. rid of all the deer, keep them as feral and tell people to just shoot them. Very true. But if you look at the New South Wales model, so because one of the big, you know, one of we won't name names because we don't have to. But, you know, one of the big arguments about having an R license system is it's going to be this slaughter and there's going to be no more majestic red deers and all that stuff like that. You go, well, okay, well, that doesn't, that's never happened anywhere for a start. So where you can hunt deer in this country has not led to the extinction of deer. No. And in, Mel- and in Victoria, this last year was the, I think they had more licensed hunters than ever before. And those licensed hunters shot 120,000 deer or roundabout. Hasn't led to the extension, extinction of deer, but it's led to a better better management outcome. 
And what's happened in New South Wales is exactly the same thing. It hasn't led to the extinction of deer, but what it's done is created a an industry that they recognise is very, very valuable. So it's actually matured over time. So the idea of that you can't bring it in Queensland because it will lead to the extinction of animals, one, is doesn't seem oh, to play out, and to. two, it would appear that if you look based on the New South Wales model, what happens within a period of 10 to 15 years, you have a maturity of the system anyway. And so then you have a, you create a, a recreational so you know, and so you do. You 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 know you get out there and you do what you should do, and then it and and over time things move. Yeah, and so I think, you know, to, to, I, I think to counter that, your argument, Jono, um, we've taken a lot of people into New South Wales hunting hmm. scenarios, and there's a caliber of hunter that you know gets, you know, after they've shot however many deer, and they feel like they're a you know, a hunter and they feel like they're, they're good at what they're doing, start to really focus on the animal that they want mm. rather than the one that walks in front of them. Mm. But the reality is if we go and have a look at 30 people or 40 people that we've helped into our licence this year, last year, over the last couple of years, they shoot what walks in front of them. Yep. There's no second thought about preserving mm. that animal for next year because they're still looking for their first, second, third or fourth animal and just seeing one is an experience for them. Yeah. And then you look at the other side of that coin and you go and have a look at the red deer that Profty shot, you know, in the, you know on public mm. land and he worked his ass off for it, um, you know, and they put themselves into situations and deep into gullies and things that the average bear is not going to, you know, attempt and they still get the fruits. You see this in Victoria as well with public land hunting down there. Those that venture deeper, you know, get to the to the unspoilt land and they still get those really high-quality trophies. And I think that still exists for the more adventurous. But I, I, if I was to put a percentage on it, you've you got to say 90-plus percent of people that walk into state forest to chase deer are going to shoot what walks in front of them, yeah. whether it's a yearling, a hind in November or not. And look, we need I to think, convince the government of that, though. That's the problem. Well, I think sure. that's, and it, I think there's, a, the there's kind of, there's another wheel that spins on that idea, and that is, like, I was involved um, for a long time within the vocational education area for construction, and I was on lots and lots of boards and committees and stuff like that. And this argument used to come up all the time, which was that's that. Mark, sorry, your volumes. Drop. Oh, Mike, can you pull oh, how's that? Better? Yeah, better, better. Yeah, thanks. Much better. Okay. Much better. <clears throat> so this argument sprang up over time that I'd heard time and time again where someone would say, these apprentices that you're, you know, that are coming into the workforce are not good because they, they, they're not productive enough. Okay. And, yeah, you yeah. know, you kind of immediately respond to that by going, oh, okay, well, we've got to improve their productivity. But what if you took a second to think about it and you actually apply it to, to what you're talking about is that to become a considered ethical hunter, you don't go from buying a rifle to that. It's a journey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the only way to experience that journey is to shoot stuff. And like to be to be for an for for a tradesperson to be a highly productive tradesperson, they have to start as a completely unproductive apprentice. Mm. 
and they have to go through it. So there's no use measuring, you know, yourself. And I don't, and I'm not talking about anyone in particular, but it's no use measuring a newbie against a person who's been doing it all their life. Right. And I think sometimes we get, I think people do that. They kind of go, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, you see it on Facebook all the time. Someone will put up a picture with a grid on it and said, where would you shoot this animal? You know, yeah, like yeah. E3. And someone will pipe in, I wouldn't shoot that animal because it's not developed enough. And you go, yeah, okay, buddy, great, great. We'll get you a cape. You can fly around the room later. Because one, that's just not help- helpful. No one learns from that. And two, you know, that's you. But if you were the first time out and you were looking at that and no one had shown you anything else and you were you were actually asking yourself, where do I shoot the animal? Any, you know, any one of those shot placements would have done. Usually. That's right, and that's the thing. <laughs> that's the other thing too, because you get into that. Oh, right. no, it's got to be. It's got to be E three, not E four. You know, so, guys, we're not we're not we're not shooting Polaris missiles across the country. You know, just... Marksmen, right here, all of them. But you know, that's it. You know, and I always say, you know, people say, oh, what, is it is it this part of the heart or that part of the heart? And I say, which part of the heart don't you want to be shooting? You know, which part's the okay to get shot in? What part's that? But I think. That's what happens. People measure other people. So if I introduce some guy to hunting and he goes down and he shoots a couple of deer and he's excited as he can be and they were the first two deer shot, I say, good, he started the journey. Yeah, and then it's up to place. us who are a bit more experienced to say, okay, so here's the next part of the journey. Here's the next part of the journey. And I, and I look at someone like Crofty who – is an is is a kind of shining example of someone on that journey, you know. Mm. He's kind of going, okay, I'm I've, I'm moving, and as I move, I you know my my focus changes and all that stuff in a, and you know what I want to do and how I want to do it, and it changes, and that's the journey. And the thing about that journey is, it's a lovely journey, and it makes a lovely story at the top end, but everyone's got to go through the mud to get to the top end. You can't you can't kind of jump the shark and say, Oh look, we're gonna we're gonna show you how to be this kind of, you know, windswept and interest, interesting experienced hunter. No. What we're gonna do is we're gonna get you in a safe position. We're gonna get you your first animal. We're even gonna get you a first year of animals and then you're gonna start your journey yourself and you're gonna start asking questions about is this the right caliber? Where do I shoot that animal? What and that stuff. But you've got to get people to start. So I'm completely happy if someone posts a picture of the first deer they shot and it's a yearling. Good. Sure. Absolutely. Go for it. Absolutely. Um, and there's been plenty of people that we've taken that the first deer they've shot. I mean, what a perfect meat deer. That's right. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. All deer. Sometimes and, and, and I always, you know, off the cuff for someone says, uh, do you shoot trophies? And I said, every animal shoots a trophy. That's it. That's, that's, yeah. that's how I look at yeah, yeah. all trophies. You know, they're can all you imagine, some type. Can you imagine the day that they launch? I mean, this is a pipe dream, but they launch the R license program in Queensland. The the stampede to be the first person in that forest oh, in twenty five years. Mate, it's not a poacher. Yeah. There was the, we'll be, there was a few stampedes. Legal. There was a few stampedes with the um with the R license in, in New South Wales. Yeah. I knew yep. a guy who, you know, one of the first people in Severn. Like a land grab. Um, me and Tim went into a forest uh, on the first week that it was opened. 
we'd already found a dead pig in there. So I don't know if that was, uh, I don't know if that was an early, you know, a very, very productive young man who was waiting there for the 12 o'clock to tick over. But yeah, we went in first. And so when we booked, we were the first ones booking. I mean, yeah, that's, that's really exciting. That stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, um, we did. Let's, let's, let's move the subject. But um, one, one thing about that, so there's a, so we've um, either intentionally or otherwise skirted this idea in in some ways because we've been talking about the beautiful, you know, Bambi and how wonderful and majestic they are. Does that same thought process apply to foxes and pigs? Because we know that foxes and cats, especially foxes and cats, we know that they most definitely predate on native species to numbers that can drive those to extinction. So are you obliged to blow up every cat and fox you see? Oh, that's so hard. That's a difficult one. And and is the obligation greater than your personal glory about shooting a big fellow buck? So I'll... Answer that first. Um, Good. In, Nund- in Nundal, I was in prime deer country and I knew there were some bucks around because Mr. Hurley had told me that there were some bucks hanging around there and I saw a fox and I watched the fox and I took photos of the fox. Did I shoot the fox? No, because I was in prime buck country. So it does influence my uh, my decision. 100%. Best, it, 100%. And, you know, foxes, I mean, I have an absolute dead set hatred for for feral cats or for any cat, domestic or other, that is outside killing wildlife, I'm, I'm against. But will I shoot a cat to ruin my deer hunt? Not on your life. Um, no, it won't be a pig, it won't be a goat, it won't be anything. I'll, I'll step around that if my focus is on deer for that weekend. Now, if I'm out just generally scouting a park to have a look around, Yes, if it's a feral, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smack it. It's funny, I, I probably wouldn't. Sorry, if it's a cat or a fox or a wild dog, yes, absolutely, I'll knock it over. But not a pig, funnily enough, because mm. there's so many interested pig hunters out there. I'm sort of kind of happy to leave them for those that chase pigs. Um, and the same with foxes. There's people who do fox calling. Yeah, that, so. but it's easier, it's easier to go fox calling. You know, an old mate. I know it's funny. You go and ask old mate down the road on his farm if he's going to let you come onto his property to hunt deer. I'm going to say no. He'd probably let you whistle up a fox, though. Mm. Or if you said, I want to shoot dogs. He's going to chew on his land. Dog. Or yeah. you say, wild dogs. Well, yeah, like they'll let yeah. you do that. But, they, you know, that's your way into then talking about yeah. hunting deer later on. So, you know, I think if, if, you're, if you're a gun fox hunter, you're not doing it in state forest. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't have thought. Anyway. Yeah. Look, and, and on private land, uh, you know, I've got more pats on the back from shooting wild dogs. And when I'm on, when I'm on the blocks up at Mary, uh, in Brisbane Valley, um, if I'm hunting deer and I see dogs, I go, okay, this is a dog hunt because I just feel obliged to. And, Someone's um, property, yeah. State yeah it's, it's but private land. On different. public land, I will always shoot pigs first. Yeah, yeah, we know that. But when you ruin your pig hunt, the deer will be there tomorrow. Yeah, pig that's an interesting question. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you blow your pig hunt because a fox walked in front of you? 
would have blah probably. You'd shoot the fox. Yeah, it's yeah. interesting. I mm. we were we were at the I'm pretty sure it was the Pilliger. We're in the Pilliger and we were on the sort of long march wherever we were going for the afternoon and we sat down on a log to have a bite to eat and a bloody fox ran out from inside the log, scared the bejesus <laughs> out of me. And the fella that was with me was like, shoot it, shoot it. I'm like, you know what? I actually, I'm here to hunt what I'm here to hunt, and I don't just shoot stuff to kill it. Even though it's a feral, I get it, but I don't know, probably the wrong thing to say. But that's no, just no, my... but generally I, I will I will defer to killing predators. Mm. I will, I will, I will. Generally, if I'm on a hunt and um, one of the we spot a cat or something, and go yeah, shoot it. Yeah, one is, on... one is I don't, I don't, I don't believe that one shot changes all the dynamics in the forest. Um, I mean, a volley of shots and lots of yahooing and running around does, but I don't believe a single well play shot changes the dynamics in the forest that much. And two, I just think, yeah, if I see a fox or a cat. Um, I don't have any particular. I I just think that it's obligated, but with pigs, it's simply because I just like shooting pigs so much. So I always shoot pigs. Um, can't help it. Um, and the bigger they are, the more I like it. So yeah, it's um, different. Different for me if it's public, if it's private. If I'm hunting Brisbane Valley, I've got an obligation to the farmer to shoot a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I see that's it. your, if that's the reason you're there, but like. Some of these other places that we've been recently that we frequent a few times a year, mm-hmm. pay a hundred dollars a night to go. Yeah, that's there to a different shoot thing again. I'm, I'm yeah, I think that's different. No, yeah, and that's, that's a, like, and that's, my return. Yeah, I can. I can. That's different. Uh, I think that's and, different. And look, <laughs> and I think legitimately that's a a reason when hunting public land because you still got to pay. So you know, and in fact, you know, hunting public land. For us in Queensland, the hunt Nundle is not a cheap. I mean, it's not ridiculously expensive oversight, but it's not cheap. We've got a fuel no, vehicles, and so <laughs> there's there is you could. I think that's a reasonable argument. But for me, I I just that's my fallback position. Um, though I have to admit that I I one I do not like shooting dogs at all. I I, I actively dislike shooting dogs. Foxes, oh, sorry, I don't care I about. Foxes, I don't care about. Cats, I don't care about. I don't. I don't have any. I just think that's a predator. It's going to do damage. It's got to. It's got to go. Um, pigs. I've, I've got a, a natural inclination to hunt pigs. But dogs, I I actively dislike shooting dogs. Um, I just hmm. I can. I, I I'll do it. But a boy, I just dislike doing it. I dislike doing. I don't see I him do. as a dog. I, I do. I see him as dog. I see him. I see him as a. I see him as a dog. I can't. I can't not look at a dog. The ferals are like that. Feral yeah, dogs I can't. Are... I. I haven't been able. To, I can't look at a dog and think that's not a dog. I think. Mm, fair enough. And in fact, when I look at a wild dog, I probably feel more in tune with it because it's it's a predator, and I think, well, I'm a predator, and it's a predator. So yeah. And you know, the apex predator has a place in wildlife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know what else is knocking down populations? I mean, the kangaroo and the wallaby populations are, are pretty big. Um, you know, they're only getting bigger and bigger, and they're migrating like everything else is. They're the only things that are keeping them down. Um, you know, we can't shoot or hunt them, so I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, that's a, that's yeah. A good 
I must admit, I yeah, I, I I was with Tim once, and I shot a number of dogs, and I said, I turned around and said, "Well, that's the last one." I'm, I said, "I'm done now," I, and I meant, I meant, I'm done. I don't want to shoot. I have shot since then, but it was a long time before I did it again. I just said, "I, I can't do that again. I can't stand like <laughs> shooting." Then. So subject change slightly. So still yeah. on the the uh, subject of ethics and. Do's and not do's and things like that. Um, I think that's do's and don'ts, by the way. Do's and don'ts. Do's and not do's. Do's and do's and don'ts. Yeah. Um, do do's and not do do's. <laughs> uh, that's a poo joke. Poo joke. What do you tend to do on public land? Uh, you're heading into your pre-planned hunt spot, and there's someone parked up there already. Okay. I generally don't have a single pre-planned hunt plan mm. because last year's favourite spot, wind. Sure. The wind, my friend. The wind is ultimately what determines. So, I don't have a single one because if I get there and the wind's wrong, well, I don't go. Oh, um, this is my place. So. I usually have a couple of things I want to... So I'll have a... I always have a backup plan or another place I want to try because if I get there and it's not what I think it's like, I want to be able to go... I don't want to go, well, we're stuck here now. I want to be able to move. So to me, it could be, you know, like, for instance, there could be a machine parked there that shouldn't be parked there, but there is. So I kind of go, okay, we're just not going to hunt here and we move on. So it's not that big a... Um, concern for me. It would just yes. I just Same. I I would just go to Plan B. I'd go Plan B. Public land. They're entitled to be there as much as I am. Yeah. I. I. I it's not that. It's just that I just kind of, you know, it's just an inconvenience that I just Plan B around. John, I flip that statement around. Say it again. What do you mean, flip it around? You're entitled to be there as much as they are. Yeah. Well, if they're an ethical, legal hunter. They've got their own license. They're allowed to be in that forest if they booked oh, in. Oh, no, not, not disputing that, but you've rocked yeah. up there, there already. You're in a, mm. a location that you're quite keen to hunt. You've been there a few different times. There's a, a vehicle parked up there. Mm. You have as much right to be there as anyone else. Are you going to yeah. continue in that in that area to pursue not if what you planned? Not if they're there, they're, they were there before me, if they got up earlier. They they got up earlier than me in the morning and they got into that spot. They're they're mm. entitled to be there. They if they chose oh, that spot. Yeah, yeah. As long as they didn't um if it's not someone from camp who I told this is where I'm hunting in the morning and told them my secret spot and then they got up an hour half an hour before me and went there, then I'd potentially yeah. Yeah. But, but I, I try not to have secret spots. I yeah. But it's public land and if someone's done the scouting and chosen an area that, that I thought was a good area, then Bladed by that, to be honest, I think we've. I was in a spot last year. I had my blaze on, so I was I was visible. Um, I was um, sort of quite close to an overgrown track um, that obviously didn't get a lot of use, and I was parked up with a really good vantage over an area, and a car with three hunters. Uh, now this was an area that was only allowed three hunters, and I was already there. So a car with yeah. three hunters. Came by, so one was a spectator. Of course, it's the only way it could possibly have happened. 
um, drove straight up to me, wound the window down, said hi, mm. and then carried on up that track in his car, bashed his way past where I was sitting waiting, and carried on another four or five hundred meters down that track before they stopped and got out and went hunting. So, and in real, <laughs> in 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 reality, probably thought nothing of that from a, and I don't mean nothing of it because they were assholes and didn't care. Thought nothing of it because they just went, yeah, sure. So I'm they leave this paddock. I just drove straight through right, right. and I mean, leave it. I, I've, I've. <laughs> Had I've had, I've in, you know met other people when I've been out hunting, and you know like we were at Severn once and we could hear this thing coming and it sounded like the Tin Man was coming out of the forest. You know, like <laughs> I expected the bloody you know, literally the tin, you know you could hear this like click clink clink click clink clink click clink clink click clink clink coming and I went what the hell is that? And it's just this guy and he was just. Just noise, and I kind of and I went and we came over and he were talking with him and stuff like. And he actually recognised me. He said, "Hi, Mark." I went, "Who's this?" And he recognised me from the magazine. And I went and we spoke to him and stuff like that. And he had a dog with him, and he said, oh, "I haven't seen any ghosts." And I dog felt like saying, "Yeah, I probably understand why." Um, but you know, in a way, he did us a favour because we went. If he was like fifteen minutes early. Or fifteen minutes later, he may we may have gone over his clink track that he probably blazed through that forest and yeah. scared all the game away anyway. So I kind of just went, I just went, ah, that's. Um, and when I was in the Pilliga, actually the first time we ever hunted the Pilliga, this Hilux with dogs on the back came up. We were, came out of the forest and they came up and they were talking to us, and they it was obvious they were. They weren't legal, and you know they 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 kind of went. We've been that way, and again I went. Oh, okay. Well, we won't go that way because you probably scared everything off. Mm. And I remember once we we're in actually we we're in town, and the young fellas at we we're getting a tire fixed, and the young fellas were telling us about this dam that they all go down to and shoot, and you know drink, piss, and Yahoo around. None of them were, were licensed, and so, and when we we visited that dam, it did look like that's exactly what they'd been doing. And what they used to do is they used to um, prop dead goats up on logs and stuff, just to so you know people go, oh, there's a goat there and stuff like that. So you know, I kind of, in many ways, I, I kind of think it's a it's it's almost it's a bit of a blessing, really. Kind of go, oh, okay. Don't don't focus on that area. Don't go there. You never know. Yeah, leave it yeah. alone. Yeah. 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 Fair enough. Um, Haroon, uh, here's a thing. Did it twice to Tim and Darcy on our last trip to Nundal, and that is, and I and, and I kid you not, they were driving down the main drag, and off the side they saw pigs. And they got out to pursue them, and Haroon appeared over the hill in his Hilux and went, "Hey guys, how are you going?" And they went, oh, "Thanks, mate." <laughs> and the pigs ran off. Uh, uh, no, no lie. I was driving the next day, and I came over the hill and I saw the pigs, 
and went, oh, pigs, and haroomed and came over the hill and went, <laughs> oh, hi, Mark, how you going? I went, yeah, mate, okay, that's <laughs> twice. I'm sure it was sure right. So, you know, sure oh, no, the, as a, he, uh, kind of the, what's he protecting those pigs? <laughs> like, <laughs> Chase you so yeah, so I kind of, and I mean, when you you know you've hunted Nundal and you the motorbike riders go through and stuff like that, you know, so you, you they'll come screaming through on the dirt bikes and you go, okay, well we'll just stay away from there. So yeah, sure. And like we've said more than once, we um we go to this forest to get a as far away from other people as we possibly That's can it. and pursue mm-hmm. what we're doing. Um, we're not really hanging around where the other people are anyway, but no. every now and then you yeah. do stumble across, you know, an area where somebody else is that you wanted to go. And um, I confess that uh, a couple of years ago, I got to a spot that I had fully intended to hunt and there was a car there and I just carried on on my hunt. I went straight into the same area, but it's a big area. The okay. wind was in the favor of quite a bit of direction. Um, I felt the location that I was going was my secret spot, so there's no way he would have known about it anyway. So we're going to a different spot. Um, and he would have been somewhere in there. Um, yep. But um, I've just got to be careful, and I never came across the fella, so yeah. who knows? Yeah, I mean, that's it. you just got to be careful. I mean, that's why you wear blaze, and that's why you, you follow safe shooting procedures and all that kind of things. It's bound to happen. You know, you yep. are going to get crossover. For sure. I think that's um and in fact that was a question that was put to me on this group. How far can you or how close can you shoot to a fence? Um, you know, so is it two hundred meters, a hundred meters? To a neighbor's fence. To a to a boundary fence. Yeah. So public land, private land, boundary oh, fence. There question. isn't a distance. No, I because have it's so. about it's about safe shooting. So it, there is yep. a distance. You could be yeah. running against you, that fence shooting back into the park. Yeah, as long as the bullet's not crossing. That's right. From if if that bullet has the ability to cross that fence line, then that's that's not a safe that's activity. Opposite. So it doesn't matter if it's hundred yards or two hundred yards or whatever it is. If it's 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 about it comes back to safety. So you could be standing on that fence and shooting horizontal or parallel to that fence and shoot a deer, but the question is, then you've got to ask yourself, what happens if that deer crosses the fence? So yes, you're you're you know you're legally allowed to be standing against that fence and shooting, but you've got to give consideration to the projectile and to the game animal and what will happen. So if you shoot that in such a so if that animal is running to that fence, for instance, and you shoot it on public land and it jumps over that fence, then that's you know you don't have the right to pursue it. No. So you've then basically shot an animal in, in arguably an unethical manner because you haven't been able to dispatch it within a safe place. Um, conversely, if you're sitting on a fence and you see the animals come out of the private and jump over the public, you're allowed to shoot them then. If then sure. if, again, if it's safe and there's no issue about them, you know, you know, crossing over or losing the game animal, so yeah, so it, it's it's it comes down to a matter matter of safety and and your confidence or otherwise about what that game animal might do. Here's a question that comes up from time to time, and it's a it's a pretty easy answer, but we'll we'll um call it out anyway. Um, what do you do to dispose with your carcass waste? 
What? How do you dispose of the carcass waste? I put him in John and sleeping bag when he's not looking. <laughs> yeah, it comes up a lot with new people. Um, I know people that have yeah. cut it out. Um, so, so we're talking like the, the gut pile, basically. I'm talking about the, whatever you don't put in your rescue. Yeah, whatever you don't. So whatever you leave behind. So I try not to leave it near water, which is can be arguably quite difficult if you're up on high because of stuff runs downhill. So try not to leave it near water. Try not to leave it near a track or 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 a travelled road. I know there's certain tracks that are not the gazetted. And Enough road kill than anymore. Yeah, that's it. So not on a road, not near water, and I general I, I always. Um, split the gut back. Yeah, and what for? What purpose? Uh, so it breaks down quicker, and, and other animals come and eat it quicker, and stuff like that. So yeah, that's all yep. I do. That I yep. and I it, and that's probably unnecessary, but that's what I do. I'll split the gut bag, and I'll just split it with a stick or something. I'll just basically poke a hole in it. Oh, you can just poke a hole in it with your knife as well. It's um, no, I don't want. I yeah, I don't want to stick a knife in the gut bag, so I just make a hole in it and that's it yeah because often when you're hunting state forests i might not take the whole animal i might just take quarters and back straps so the gut bag and so the gut bag might still be in the animal or it might not be depending on circumstances of what's happening and stuff like that but so say if i if i do where i just take the quarters off and i haven't gutted it i will still split the gut open and spill the guts on the ground and Stick a stick in it and make a hole because it just seems to, yeah, it helps other things eat it quickly and they do. Yeah, they eat them very quickly. Absolutely, mm. absolutely okay to leave the remains in the forest. Yeah, it's going to get sight, eaten. out of sight, away from the track, away from water. Yeah, just, away from water. That's it. I think yeah. water's the Nature one I I try to move stuff away from, and which is interesting because if you hunt pelagic, often you you actually end up shooting near water. Yeah. So and so then when you do that you have to give some consideration of where you are to the water because you might not be in water but you might be in a runoff into water. So you know you might be in a in a gully that drains into that water so then the first bit of downpour that's going to wash into there or so yeah, I try to make sure that it's not in a water course. Or in a in a way that it's going to end up in the water. That's all. Cool. Any other ethical questions for public land? Mm-hmm. Any other ethical questions? There'll be a few that come out of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah throw them up. Can't think sure. of any. That we'll said that, the, the, there was a couple of posts um, from Robert Borzak that kind of tricked my interest, and I thought, oh, well, yeah, let's. Drive those on. Yeah, oh, that's good. All right. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Cool. We'll John. Okay. Done. All right. Full of nine. Thanks, Thanks, Jess. Okay.